Well, over the last month, month and a half, we've worked through a series called Missional Spirituality, and we've connected it to our theme statement of bringing people to faith. So this year, we're looking at the four statements of who we are as a people, and we've moved to another statement that we are conforming to the image of Jesus. Actually, the better way to say that is we are being conformed to the image of Jesus, but this will be a kind of bridge sermon between the two uh, because spirituality, it really is a buzzword in today's society, especially here in Austin, Texas, but we've attached the word missional to it because our spirituality as a church and as individuals really is meant to be put on display for the world to see. Uh, We are, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, Uh, to shine as lights in the world in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And Paul says that to a group of people living in a Roman colony there in Philippi. And that's where we've been camping out this last month is in Philippi. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, Philippians will be in Philippians 4 and we'll be in Philippians 2 this morning. So 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Short letter. So, so far we've looked at missional spirituality as it's connected to the mission that we find in this letter. Uh, We've looked at uh, missional holiness and missional giving, missional praying, missional suffering, But this morning, we want to close out this series by looking at missional unity. And as it turns out, unity is not just getting along, just to get along. Our unity as a church body is a gospel presentation to the world, uh, to our Austin neighbors. And even beyond that, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians alerts us to the fact that our unity... Uh, the mystery made known between Jews and Gentiles, our unity actually preaches a sermon to the invisible realm, however that works. But as we look around, we know that unity is in short supply here in this world. So some questions for us this morning. How do we find unity in the church? How do we do life together, even with those with whom we disagree. How do we protect the unity of the Spirit? Well, you might find this interesting, uh, but one of my projects last year was to do a deep dive into Brentwood Oaks, uh, the history and different aspects of our church life together through the years. And in one of the appendices, uh, with the help of Pam and Melissa and others, uh, we put together a history of the logos of this church. And so here it is. I don't know if you can see that or not. If you can see that, you don't need to get your vision checked. But you can kind of look through those through the years. Some of these are not logos, per se. They They were the covers of the bulletin. But you might find it interesting that ever since 1978, aside from a few years, the cross figured prominently into the logo of the church. 
Now, I don't want to make too much about a logo. A logo doesn't make a church. A logo can even be a source of division. But it was an interesting and somewhat tedious exercise for the elders and the staff to come up with a logo. We had to wrestle with some questions. What do we want to project to the world in our communications about who we are as a people and on our our signage? What image best captures the mission here at Brentwood Oaks? Well, one of the things that we were adamant about is that the cross needs to be in our logo somewhere. And that idea was put to the test in a conversation with one of the designers that we were consulting with. Uh, The designer was not very keen on the cross. In fact, this person said, churches really aren't doing the cross thing right now. It's it's old-fashioned. It it, it betrays a a sense of tradition rather than innovation. A lot of churches are moving away from the cross. Well, thankfully, the small committee stood their ground because for the church... The cross is not just a symbol. The cross is a mindset. I wonder what was going on back then between those two women in Philippi, Yodia and Syntyche. There was some tension in the air in that house church. These two women had a very special relationship with Paul and the church there and the mission. Well, let's read how he describes them in Philippians chapter 4. Verses 2 and 3, Paul writes, I urge Iodia, I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they've struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. So we have these two women who have struggled with Paul in the work of the gospel. And that word for struggled is one of Paul's sin words. Not S-I-N, but S-Y-N, as in synthesis, meaning associated with or together. And in Paul's letter to the Philippians, Paul is all about sin. In fact, One might say that the letter to the Philippians is the letter of sin. There are 13 occasions in Philippians when an S-Y-N word is used. It's buried in the Greek, but it really tells us a lot about what was on Paul's heart, what was on his mind whenever he penned this letter. Philippians, as it turns out, is not just a thank you letter for the gift that, that the Philippians gave to Paul in prison. It's not just a reframing of Paul's suffering and, in turn, a reframing of the church's suffering. Philippians is about unity, missional unity. And these women were connected. Uh, They were synthesized with Paul and the brothers and sisters. They had labored with Paul. They had struggled with Paul. There were some hard times there in Philippi. There was suffering One could easily imagine that when Epaphroditus delivered this gift, whatever that gift was to Paul in prison, he came with a good news, bad news report. The good news, Paul, is that even though the people are being attacked, they're standing firm in the faith. They're worried about you and they need encouragement, but but they're living out the gospel. 
But there's also some bad news. There is some tension. Maybe Paul knows about this tension. Maybe Epaphroditus said, there's tension between you-know-who, these two women. And it's not a small thing. It's actually creating division in the church. Sorry for the bad news, Paul. There's some division. Now, what the details are of this disagreement, we're not privy to. And I'm kind of glad we don't know. I mean, the church knew. That had to be quite an awkward reading with Yodia and Syntyche there in the house church. I don't think they were sitting together. I could see them sitting on opposite sides, but their names were called out. But I'm glad that Paul doesn't spell out what's going on here. Because I don't know about you. I do know about me. Uh, we have the tendency as human beings to rationalize our behavior. So if this turned out to be some big doctrinal disagreement, some deep division, or if Yodia had done something to Syntyche and it really hurt her badly, uh, we might have the tendency to dismiss our, our small and petty disagreements and say, well, we don't really need to work these out because Paul's talking about something big. He's talking about something huge there between those two women. On the flip side, what if this was something small? The color of curtains. That actually might be a big thing. I don't know. But we might dismiss our, our big disagreements and say, well, Paul was actually addressing some petty things. Uh, this thing between me and my brother or me and my sister is way too big to resolve. I'm glad Paul doesn't let us off the hook by spelling everything out. What we do know is that Yodia and Syntyche, these two warrior women for the gospel, they disagree. And Paul wants them to work this out. And he wants the church to come alongside them and help them work this out. Paul's plea is for these women to agree in the Lord. That's what the English Standard Version says. But I believe the NRSV captures it better. When Paul says in the NRSV, I urge Yodia, I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind. And I like that phrase, be of the same mind. Because that phrase recalls the centerpiece of the letter. The words that we hear in this room every ten weeks from one of our shepherds. Philippians chapter 2 Verses 1 through 11. Because in addressing the disunity in Philippi, and I, I believe that Paul had these two women in mind when he was writing this letter. But in addressing the disunity of the church, what Paul does is he tells the story of Jesus. Just like the old hymn says, tell me the story of Jesus, write on my heart every word. Paul tells the story of Jesus. He tells them the story of the cross. Because for Paul, the cross is not just a symbol. It's a mindset. And as I read these words, I actually read these words at the table a couple of weeks ago. But I would invite you to do two things. Number one, picture in your mind the two women... They're listening to this letter. They have a sharp disagreement. It's, it's an open secret. Everybody knows about it in the church. But picture how they would hear these words from Paul. But a second thing I want to invite you to do is pay attention to the word 
mind. Hear the word of God from Philippians chapter 2. I'll read verses 1 through 5. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in King Jesus, Christ Jesus. You know, at the end of the day, we settled for a logo that has four quadrants of leaves capturing, well, our campus here. All the leaves. And the cross is there in the negative space, and it really pops out when it's a solid color. You can see it. It's hard to unsee it once you see it. Again, I don't want to make too much out of a logo. A logo doesn't make a church. But here at Brentwood Oaks, whether it is the logo or more importantly, the way we conduct ourselves as a people, we want the cross to be the center of who we are. Because the cross is not just a symbol. The cross is a mindset. I look around and I see, just as you do, all the polarization that takes place in our society. It's as if we have two groups of people who are living in two different worlds. They're in two different universes on a whole spectrum of of different issues. And the natural tendency is for human beings to retreat into our tribes, into our echo chambers with those with whom we disagree. We're going to surround ourselves with them. To discard people of opposing views. And we might think that unity is just a pipe dream. And there are people who are trying to seek unity. Bless their heart. They're trying to seek unity, but they're looking for it in all the wrong places. They believe that we can unify through human progress. They believe we can unify through appealing to moral character. Some of our new atheists are appealing to reason. There are those who think that our technology can bring us together. Well, that experiment hasn't gone very well over the last 30 years. But alas, the pride and the vain conceit that Paul talks about in this letter always gets in the way. And if people are not seeking, if people are trying to seek unity through human strength and human wisdom and human ingenuity, it will fail. It has been proven over and over again through the ages. If people are seeking unity without a table, if they're trying to seek unity without the bread and the cup, if they're trying to seek unity without the cross, 
for spinning their wheels. Because people who are shaped by the cross are people who carry the mindset of the man on the cross who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped or something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. At the cross, Jesus ushered in a new mindset, a cross-shaped mindset, a mindset that considers others better than yourselves, a mindset that looks to the interests of others before your own, a mindset of love and humility, the only mindset that can bring about missional unity as a witness to the world, a world that needs to see it. I saw it. I saw it here in this room years ago. Late November of 2016, I saw it with my own eyes. I saw two women sitting together, and judging by the months of their previous Facebook post, one of them was very happy with the results of the 2016 election, and one was deeply disappointed. And when I saw them sitting together, my first thought was, uh-oh, that's probably not a good idea for those two to be sitting together. I was wrong. Because here in this space, here in this new community, here in the church, that's actually the best idea that they sat together. And they came together over the one thing that could bring unity. They came together over the one person who could bring unity. And they shared the bread. And they shared the cup. And they came to the foot of the cross together. Because the cross is not just a symbol. The cross is a mindset. We have the invitation this morning to seek unity between brothers and sisters as a witness to the world. To dive deeper into that cross-shaped life and experience the sweet unity of the Spirit. As Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers